I've heard them say that it's not how well you start, it's how well you end that counts. We're at the end, folks. We've, we've studied uh, the seven different churches in the book of Revelation, and today will be kind of like the culmination in um, what they teach us today. You know, I wanted to just look at that. So I'm going to remind you of some things as we've, we've gone through, and you'll remember some things that we talked about, but while he was exiled on the island of Patmos, the apostle John received a revelation from Jesus Christ that we know now as the book of Revelation. And it's interesting because <clears throat> even though John's the writer, these words are coming from Jesus. These letters that came to all these churches that we talked about, these letters came from Jesus. It was like, a, how would you like to go to your mailbox one day and get a letter, and it was personally signed and sent to you by Jesus. Well, you you have it right here. You don't have to go to the mailbox. So, but in in this vision, Christ gave John seven messages for the seven first century churches in Asia Minor, and so these letters, I think, constitute one of the most, I believe, incisive. New Testament exhortations regarding church doctrine and how to live as, as a Christian in this world. You know, I think their, their pointed denunciation of departure from biblical morality and theology need to be shared. Those things need to be important to us, the, the, the idea of, of theology and, and doctrine. But do you remember what Jesus said to the church that really got it right on doctrine. He said, you forgot to love me. So what I'm saying to you is, is that, you know, even maybe above doctrine, above theology, we need to remember that love is the greatest thing of all. And that's what Jesus wants from us. You know, the, these messages were not only written to the seven churches in John's day, but these, these messages in this, in the, in chapters two and three of Revelation are for the church and for every Christian today as well. And down through the centuries to all those churches as well. So as we have discovered, the seven letters are, I think they're pretty remarkable because they are direct letters from Jesus himself. And there is something, I think, that can be very applicable to all churches and each of us personally in each of these letters. And so I don't know if you've been following along closely or not. I don't know if you've, if there have been any lessons that you've learned from this personally. But as we go through and we, as we culminate this today, I hope that maybe something will click for you. You know, we discovered that Jesus is very good. He is very good at giving compliments when a compliment is due. How many of you have a hard time giving a compliment? <clears throat> Isn't it always easier to tear someone down than it is to build someone up? <laughs> you know, I think, I think we like those things. You know, we like to tear people down a lot of times, you know, because it makes us feel better about ourselves. But it shouldn't be that way. See, I think Jesus is very good at giving a compliment when a compliment is due. But Jesus is also good about not giving unnecessary flattery, but I think he is also very direct and to the point when it comes to telling the truth. 
I think Jesus is, you know, he is right direct point when, when it's coming to tell the truth. So what would Jesus say to us? What do you think Jesus would say to us? Would he compliment us for not accepting false teachers like the, the church at Ephesus? Remember? They would not accept false teachers. Or would he recognize, you know, recognize true Jews like in Smyrna or, or holding true to his name and not denying the faith like they did in, at the church at, at Pergamum? Or would, would he say something like this was, you know, growing in many areas of the, of your spiritual life? Like they did it at, at Thyatira or the, the spiritual cleanliness of, of a few members at the church at Sardis. Remember the church at Sardis? What did he say about them? He said, you, you, you're alive, but really you're dead. There's only a little bit of you that's still alive. And I want to try to resuscitate you. Or what about perseverance and faithfulness like the church at Philadelphia? You know, we remember the city of brotherly love. So how would, would he compliment us? Would he compliment us? And the second thing I want to talk about here is how might Jesus sum up our society? How would you sum up our society? What would you say about our society? That is the environment that we live in. That's our society. Would it be humanistic um, what about maybe kind of like a, a a life is cheap type of society where we don't seem to value life much anymore um, what about a, a sports craze society how many of you are just chomping at the bit to watch football today <laughs> I knew I knew there were gonna be a couple of hands coming up there see I don't get excited about that anymore because I'm a Washington commanders fan <laughs> Although there's always hope, there's always that hope, you know. I, I, who said that? <laughs> are you a Commanders fan? Or are you a Cowboys fan? <laughs> okay, yeah, yes, thank you. Someone said it. Redskins. <laughs> That's right. They'll always be the Redskins, won't they? That's right. So, but anyway, well, or what about? A, a, a liberty worshiping society that, you know, that we can worship how we want or a pleasure mad society. Are we a pleasured society, a pleasured man? Or maybe we're a, a youthful, a, a beauty conscious society where we, where we really put a lot of stock into that. Or maybe we're a money hungry society or a, a tolerant society or a sin Crazy society. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, yeah, all the above. So how would Jesus rebuke us then? How would he rebuke us? Would he rebuke us for being lukewarm like the church at Laodicea due to the society that we live in? How would he How would he? rebuke us would he rebuke us for being tolerant due to the society that we live in are we tolerant do we just let those things happen would he rebuke us for being molded by the society that we live in instead of us doing the molding 
See, back in that time, back in the early days, it was the church. The church was the hub of society. And now it's almost like that that's non-existent anymore. It seems like it anyway sometimes. How would he rebuke us? So what we need to remember is that Jesus is still in the midst of his church. And he tells each of, of, the, of those churches one thing that I remember very clearly out of all seven of those churches. You know what he said to them? He said, I know you. He says, I know your deeds. So every one of us sitting here this morning, I want you to know that Jesus knows us. Jesus knows you. He knows everything in your life that's going on. He knows us. And he says, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. And I believe that he knows us. So let's look back at these seven churches. And I want to see if we can discover some lessons that we can learn from them. The first one is this. It's the church at Ephesus. Remember the church at Ephesus? I'm going to call them, they were the loveless church. They were the loveless church. If you look at Revelations chapter 2, 1 through 7, we're not, I'm not going to have them up on the screen. If you want to follow along in your Bible, you can look at them. I'm not going to read all the scriptures, but Ephesus was known as the loveless church. They had so many great qualities about them. Absolutely so many great qualities. Christ commends them for being a dynamic church, for being a dedicated church for being a very determined church, a disciplined church, a discerning church. They were all that and then some. But if you go to verse 4 of Revelation chapter 2, Jesus reveals where they went wrong. Here's what he says. He says, yet I, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. What is their first love? It's him. That's right. It's Jesus. Everything about the church at Ephesus looked good on the outside, but inwardly they had a heart issue. They forgot to love Jesus. How do you forget to love Jesus? If he's supposed to be the most important thing to us, how do we forget to love Jesus? It must mean that he's not the most important thing to us then. Because you know and I know that if we really love something, it's going to be very important to us. I love Sarah. She's very important to me. I love Elliot. He's very important to me. <laughs> but you notice I put Sarah first. I love my children because they're very important to me. I love my grandchildren because they're very important to me. How can we forget to love Jesus? Unless he's not that important to us. And this is what was happening here at Ephesus. Their devotion to Christ was, was going dim, or maybe it was already out. I don't know. So if you find yourself in this place in your relationship with Jesus, I'm going to give you a three-part formula on how to return to your first love. He tells us, and every single one of them, the first one is this, remember, remember. In verse, in chapter two, verse five there, he says, remember the height from which you have fallen. If we have felt something, or if we have left something or someone, you know, I think what the first step is, is that we need to remember where we started. 
Remember back to the days when you first became a Christian and how excited you were. Remember back to those. The second thing that he tells us to do, this is the the second part of the formula. He says, repent. And do the things that you did at first. Thinking back to when when you first became a Christian again. Remember the things that you did at first. For you see, the next logical step after remembering where we started is to realize where we are now and to repent if repentance needs to take place. This means to reverse the course and go in the opposite direction. That's what the word repentance means. It's like doing a doing a 180 and going in the opposite direction. So that's what we need to do. We need to reverse the course. And then the third thing that he says there, he says return. I like that. Remember, repent, return. Return to what you did when you be, when you first became a Christian, you know, the, the spiritual disciplines that, that kept you close to Christ and motivated you to follow Him. So he says, remember, repent, return. That's an easy one to remember, isn't it? Remember, repent, return. That's what we can do if we find that our relationship with the Lord is not where it needs to be. Do those three things. Then the second church that we talked about was the church at Smyrna. Smyrna, I'm going to call them the suffering church. It's from Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, if you're following along in your Bibles there. See, Christians in in developed countries today, like the United States and, and, and maybe in England and places like that, developed countries, actually probably think very little about being persecuted for their faith. We don't have to worry about walking out of this building and someone standing there with a machine gun going to mow us down. We have that freedom. But there are churches and there are Christians in the world where persecution is taking place on a daily reality. Remember we talked about that? That you know, even back in Nero's day, there weren't as many Christians being executed, being persecuted, than there are today. Over 200,000 a year are being persecuted or, or killed for their faith. And so, such was the case for the, for the ancient church in Smyrna. For you see, they suffered because of, of pressure, because of poverty, because of persecution. You know, and so Christ's words to that church can can prepare all believers for what might come. We don't know on down the road what could come to this country. You know, 20, 30 years from now. You know, we have our grandchildren that are coming up. What are they going to face? We don't know those things. But here are two things that we can do in face of that, in face of persecution. The first one is, is, is great. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. We need to be fearless. We need to stand in the face of, of the opposition because Christ is Lord over all life circumstances. We don't have anything to fear. They might be able to destroy our body, but we need to fear the one who can destroy our body and our soul into hell. That's the one we need to fear, and that's, that's Jesus. 
So I want to share with you what, what Paul has to say. Here's what he says in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of the sword? He says, As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That should be a very encouraging scripture for us. Because there is nothing that can separate you from the love of Jesus. Nothing. Fear is a natural human response. But let me tell you something. We live supernatural lives through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us through Jesus Christ. Amen? Absolutely. And the second thing that he says, not only to be fearless, but he also says in in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 there, he says, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. So it's not only being fearless, but it's also to be faithful. Be faithful. You know, this was said to them by Jesus knowing the intensity of the persecution that they were facing in Smyrna. Jesus knows us intimately. He knows what's going on in your life personally. He knows the trials and the, and the suffering and the temptation and, and all these things that you're facing. He knows them. But you know what? He still loves you. He still loves you. See, if we knew half the things that were going on in each of our lives, we probably would walk away. I don't want to be around that person. Jesus doesn't do that. He loves you. He wants the best for you. So the third church is the church at at Pergamum. And I'm going to call this church the the compromising church from Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. See, Pergamum had a nickname. Their city had a nickname. Does anybody know what the nickname is? They called it Satan's City. They called it Satan's City. For you see, in verse 13, it says that Satan has his throne there. See, the Christians in Pergamum were surrounded by pagans, the pagan beliefs, and, the, and, and pagan practices. So in spite of faithfulness in some areas, what had happened in that church was that Christians in Pergamum had compromised their faith in others. Um, they, they had allowed idolatry to creep right into their fellowship, right into the church. So Satan is still employing that strategy that's, that was used in Pergamum. He does that to us today. What you can't curse or crush you can corrupt through compromise. And that's what Satan tries to do to us. He tries to get you to do it just a little, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more until you're completely compromised. 
I saw that in my children. I saw that in, in my two youngest when they went to college. I would say that if you can do something else besides college, like a trade or something, or let that, let that child take a, time, a little time off so they can get their bearings straight, do it. Because college is not for everybody. And I want to tell you right now, we have some of the most liberal people in our colleges that are trying to, trying to tear our children down and, and turn them into socialists or communists. And I want to tell you something. I'm not, I'm not trying to get political here, but I will tell you this, that you, you just need to make sure that they know where they're standing on the solid rock of Jesus before you send them, send them off to any of those places because they're going to have to fight for their lives. Because that's what we're living in now. We're living in a world that's compromised. And so the scripture says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there in the midst. That's what the Bible tells us. But I want to tell you who else is going to be there. Satan will be there trying to corrupt the the truth uh, right in your midst. He's going to try to be there to corrupt the truth. So we need to remember that our goal should be to speak the truth and to guard ourselves against compromise. Absolutely. Guard against false doctrine, against false teaching. Remember Christ commends Antipas. Remember Antipas? He was one of the people that was at the church at Smyrna there, or Pergamum there. Christ commends Antipas for being faithful and a true disciple. Do you know what happened to Antipas? That faithfulness cost him his life. Do you know how he died? Do you remember how he died? They put him inside of a brass bull and they roasted him to death. That's how he died. So when you stand against compromise, these things can happen. But we need to be faithful anyway. The fourth church that we talked about was Thyatara. I'm going to call Thyatara the adulterous church from from Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Remember when I talked about camo? Anybody have camo? Does anybody wear camo at all? Come on, folks, don't, don't disappoint me, please. Okay, praise the Lord. Okay, good. Yeah. I have so much camo, and you know, What's funny is Sarah says, I don't think I've ever seen that piece before. Oh, okay. But I, I, I have a lot of camo and you know, I have camo for all seasons, you know, but, but camo is designed to help you hide from your intended prey so that you can nail them. Remember we talked about chameleons? Chameleons are reptiles who change colors to blend into their environment so they can't be easily detected. This is what was happening at Thyatara. They were blending so well into their society that they had become tolerant of ungodliness. You know, these these are Christians and churches today. I, I think that there. I'm sorry. There are there are Christians and churches today who who feel a need to be to be absolutely relevant. And when you when you become relevant and you try to be all-inclusive, then, you know, the spiritual and moral boundaries can sometimes be pushed to the ends of the earth. See, the ancient church in Thyatira must have felt 
that way as well. This church allowed this immoral individual to lead many away from Christ. Do you remember the, the lady? You know, I, I think they were so busy trying to look like the world so that, that they just, they just slipped right away from that. So what does Christ say to the church that is tolerating immorality or immoral? Immorality in, 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 in her, in her mist? What, are, what, are, what does he say to her? When the prophetess refuses to repent, here's what Jesus says. He, he warns of his judgment. He says, I'm going to cast her on a bed of suffering. I'm going to, I'm going to cast her on a bed of suffering. Whether that's taken figuratively or literally, we should take those words as a warning that God is holy and he is not going to allow for rebellion to last long. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31 says this, it is, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, God is a loving God, but we also need to be respectful because He is a, He is the God who has created this whole thing. Do you remember, how many of you ever saw, um, uh, The Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe? Okay. Do you remember in the movie when, I think it was Lucy, asked about Aslan? Do you remember, they asked about Aslan, you know, is, is he, is he all this and then something? I mean, he's a lion. Aslan was a lion. And, you know, um, the beaver, you have to watch the movie to understand. But the, the beaver responds back to her and says, you know, he is, he is the lion. I mean, they're the king of the jungle. I mean, he is a beast, but he is also good. That was the, that was kind of the comparison of who Christ is. We need to remember that God is the God of the universe. He is to be feared. He is to be respected. But He is good. He is good. And so, you know, the, the scripture there says in Hebrews chapter 1031, it is fearful to fall into the hands of, of, of the living God. You know, this warning is not just to the prophetess, but it is also a warning to those who were going to commit adultery with her and that church. You know, they would find themselves suffering intensely as well in verse 22 there, unless they were, unless they repented of their sin. So the, the message to, to the faithful who stood their ground was this. In verse 25, he says, hold fast what you have until I come. And the message to those who, who conquered and remained faithful to the end, here's what Christ promised them. He said, you will reign over the nations. That's what he tells them there. You will reign over the nations. The fifth church that we talked about was Sardis. Sardis was the church that was, we're going to call it the dead church. Revelation 3, 1 through 6. With this church, there were no commendations. Instead, Christ begins immediately with a condemnation. Here's what he says. He says, I know your deeds. Get in there. He knows you. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. The church was, was full of what we call today nominal Christians. Christians in name only. Maybe the CE Christians. 
Remember we talked about that, the CE Christians, the Christmas and Easter Christians? They only come on Christmas and Easter. And what if they get sick on those days? Then, then they don't get to come at all. They're the CE Christians. Well, Jesus gives five specific directions for the church that is dead. First one, he says this. is He says, be careful of the inroads of, of, of sin in the church. Then number two, he says, be supportive of those who remain true to Christ in the church. Number three, he says, be submissive to the control of the Holy Spirit in the church. Allow that Holy Spirit to move. Number four, be subject to the authority of God's word in the church. God's word should should be the most important thing to us. And then number five is to obey and repent for for the sin of the church. We need to we need to just make sure that we are standing firm for the Lord. You know there there is hope for those that do what Christ has directed. There is hope. He promises eternal life for those that repent and submit to him. And then the sixth church here that he talks about is the church at Philadelphia. And I'm going to call that church the faithful church in chapters, chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. You know, Christ commended the church in Philadelphia. He had nothing bad to say about them. And he commends them for in, in, in Philadelphia. And he, he says four things about them. And I'm going to remind you what, the, what he said. He said, they have an open door. They have little strength. They have kept the word of God. And they have not denied the Lord. That's what he says about them. They have not denied the Lord. If we want to be commended by Christ like this church, then what we need to do is we need to go through the doors that God opens to us for ministry. We need to open those doors up and we need to go through them we will depend upon his strength, not our strength. Uh, we will be true to him and to his word. So what does this look like for us today? Well, number one, is I call this the potential of the local church. If Christ is present and the church is committed to him, there is going to be a door of opportunity for ministry. No matter what church is, it's going to be a, uh, there's going to be a door of opportunity. Every church should pray for those doors to, to, to be recognized, to be opened, and to be walked through. If that's such a word, through. Number two, the people of the local church. See, many churches today think there are too few people there are, it's just too little bit of money. There are too few gifts and there are too few opportunities. But remember this simple truth. I want you to understand this simple truth. When we are weak, when we are small, Christ is strong and Christ is big. You know, building the church of Jesus Christ is not up to us. You know, when I was interviewing for a church one time, they asked me that question. And I got, I got kind of offended by that a little bit. They said, how are you going to grow the church? 
That's what they said to me. I couldn't believe it. You know, th- these were elders asking me, how are you going to grow the church? And I, and I immediately responded back. I said, I'm not. And if you're here to expect me to do that, then you're getting the wrong guy to come in. Because only Christ is the one that's going to grow this church. Now we can get behind him and, and work to, together to do that. But it's not up to the minister. It's not up to the elders. It's not even up to you. It's up to Jesus. He's the one that's going to grow the church. See, we depend on him as the head of the church to give us the strength that we need. The third thing he says there is the principles of the local church. See, in verse 8, Christ summarizes three principles that apply to every church. One is open doors for ministry. Number two is depending upon Christ's strength. And number three is keeping the word of God. Those three things, they are so important. Being faithful to God's word will lead to open doors for ministry. And and depending on Christ's strength, since they are both taught in his word, you know, so... So when the Word of God is the first priority, I think everything else falls into place. But God's Word has to be the priority for us. And then number four, he says the priorities of the local church. Because the church of Christ is His church, we are to boldly identify with Christ regardless of the cost. You know, that, that, can, that can be difficult. Remember Peter? Remember Peter? He, you know, um, he said that Jesus told him that you're going to deny me. And, and Peter says, no way. That is, not, that is not possible. I'm not going to deny you. He says, you will deny me in the, three times before the crow. And what happened? Peter denied him three times. See, you know, we have to really push that. We need to boldly identify with Jesus regardless of the cost. We must proclaim Christ as the Bible does. The only name by which we can be saved. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says this. Salvation is found in no one else. No one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So if you hear Oprah or someone else on there saying that there's multiple ways to the Father, that's a bunch of hogwash. It's not true. There is only one way to the Father, and his name is Jesus Christ. Period. Then the last church is the church at Laodicea. Laodicea was the lukewarm church found in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Christ saved the worst for last. You know how we save the best for last? Christ saved the worst for last. The, the church in Laodicea was lacking in every way. It was a compromising, conceited, and Christless church. And Christ said it made him sick, even to the point where he wanted to vomit or spit them out of his mouth. That's pretty poignant, isn't it? You know, I, I thought about this when I was when I was thinking about this passage here, about how you know when it talks about a, a dog returning to its vomit, how disgusting that is. That's how that's how he was looking at this church. You know, he wanted to spit them out like like a warm drink. How, how many of you have ever put the jug of milk up to your mouth and it was sour 
and you, you had already put one swallow down. Anybody ever do that? Well, I did that. That taught me a lesson. You know, I got to be really careful. I better smell it first. Or not. I can't smell that well anyway. But yeah, it's, it's bad stuff. You know, that, that's, it's disgusting. Well, today's church should pay attention as these words may apply to us as well. We got to be careful. You know, we would be well advised to apply this counsel to our lives as Christians and churches today. Here's the prescriptions that I'm going to give you. The first one is this. It's a prescription for spiritual poverty. See, the, the people at, at Laodicea were rich. They were very rich. Some of them were probably millionaires. They, they, they sold that, that, that black fabric, that wool fabric, and, and, and they had these, this, this eye center there that, that they had come up with cures for eye diseases. And so uh, they, they were very wealthy by worldly standards, but they were not spiritual. What they needed was spiritual wealth, which can only come through Jesus Christ. The second prescription was for spiritual nakedness. See, nakedness in Scripture is a metaphor for the idea of defeat or humiliation. Therefore, Christ counsels them to buy white garments. Remember that? He tells them to buy white garments from Him so that the the shame of their nakedness might be covered. The third prescription that He gives is for spiritual blindness. The only salve for spiritual blindness is repentance and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Asking him for the for the fullness and the wisdom of his spirit to restore our spiritual sight because remember it was that it was the school of medicine that was there at Laodicea and they had come up with these discoveries for for eye salve to help their eyes well the lord turns a, a, a different way to talk about spiritual blindness then fourth is the the prescription for spiritual compromise you know there's only one word of counsel for the the spiritually compromised and that is from revelation chapter 3 verse 19 it says this to be earnest and to repent god doesn't love us only when we are doing the right things he loves us all the time and he wants us to repent when we need to repent god loves us too much to leave us where we are He wants to take us to where he wants us to be. And then the fifth prescription is for their Christlessness. Not Christ-lightness, but their Christlessness. You know, Christ has this, you know, to say for, for those, for any who are without him. He says this, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He tells us this in in Revelation 3.20. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. Remember that picture I've, I've talked about. I talked about this couple. The door where Jesus is standing there, he's knocking on the door, and there's no door handle on the outside because the door has to be open from the inside, and that's what we're talking about. When Christ is moved to the margins and he's pushed outside the church altogether, he stands knocking and seeking to be invited back in. I think that's, that's what's happened to our schools. He, um, he is a gentleman. He's, he's left. But I think he would love to be back in. You know, maybe our government and our schools should consider this. So as we close today, as we, as we, as we close this series, um, we look back again at Jesus' basic message to the church. Pretty much a basic message for all the churches that he talked about there. 
He says, remember, repent, return. Do so or risk having your lampstand removed. That's what he tells us. His message also includes this. It includes a command. It usually includes a, 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 com, a condemnation. And it also usually includes a correction. So as a Christian and as his church, we need to take heed to these things that he's telling us. We need to take heed not to be of this world, but preparing for the next. He says to be in the world, but not of the world. We can still be a a light, an influence, but we're not to be of the world. So take heed for that. Take heed if you are being self-righteous. You know, Jesus wants you to remember to love Him most of all. He says, take heed if you are neglecting salvation in Christ. Repent and be baptized. Take heed if you are careless about your membership in the Lord's church. See, Jesus wants you to be an active member of His body. He wants you. Take heed if you are hiding your talents or your gifts or your abilities. Christ wants you to use them for His glory. Take heed if you are content just playing church. Christ demands authenticity, folks. Take heed if you are are judging by man's standards. Remember how man judges? Man judges by the outward appearance, but God judges the heart. So as a church... If these things characterize us, my fear is that Christ will spit us out of his mouth or remove his lampstand from us. Instead, though, be encouraged because I don't believe that that's who we are. Be encouraged. Let let us open the door of our hearts wide and invite Jesus to take up his residency. And many of you have already done that. Let us allow the Holy Spirit to direct us in how we should live. Let us pray for the lost and for our nation. We need to be doing that. You know, let us look for with great anticipation to Jesus' return. You know, let us be all that we can for Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Be faithful and true. And let us be reminded of this one thing right here. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 7. I'm going to have the band, if you guys will come on up. Come on up now. Here's what he says. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Another translation says, He who overcomes will inherit all of this. Are you an overcomer? And then finally, he's... He who testifies to all these things, this is what he says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. He says this, 2021, he says, He who testifies to all these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Jesus is coming back. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord be with God's people. Amen. So this morning as we close out our time in this series of of sermons come if you need to come know that Jesus is coming back to take his people home with him someday I hope that you'll be a part of that let's stand and sing